Welcome to the Azure Podcast, a weekly podcast to keep you up to date on what's new on our cloud platform, Microsoft Azure. Your hosts, Cynthia Crane, Evan Basilic, Suji DeMello, Kendall Roden, Kel Teeter, and Russell Young discuss a different service or solution on each show with subject matter experts to explain how to get started, how different services work, and how to make decisions in tricky scenarios. You can find out more about our podcast at azpodcast.com or follow us on Twitter at Azure Podcast. Well, welcome back to the Azure Podcast. This is episode number 477 being recorded on the 1st of November, 2023 with special guests, Ian Jensen and Michael Littman. I'm Sujit, and on teams with me, we have, of course, our two special guests who we're going to get to in just a minute. Uh, but before that, uh, let's just uh, cover a few updates that happened this past week, or actually past couple of weeks since we did the last show. Uh, we have we didn't do a show last week. Uh, and there's uh, four of them that uh, were brought up by the team. One of them is uh, for uh, Azure Redis Cache. So if you use Redis Cache uh, and you're kind of, as a developer, you're using it, you want to be able to see what kind of new versions of Redis Cache uh, are coming up. Uh, so there's a way you get uh, opt in to get like the channel updates uh, for the for the upcoming release of the Redis Cache. And you can do that on your dev machine so that this way uh, you can preview what's coming before you roll it out into production. And so they have uh, and they have that available for all the caches, you know, the basic standard and the premium caches. So you can kind of select your update channel there. Uh, the other update is with uh, Azure Site Re- Recovery. Uh, that service now will uh, use uh, Azure Monitor to uh, raise certain alerts. And this way, you could see if there's something going wrong with the with the SR, and uh, and then you could uh, you know get notified to set up uh, do something based on the alerts. Uh, uh, third update I have for you is with Azure Bastion, which is uh, a service that I use a lot. Uh, and typically, when you deploy Azure Bastion, uh, you know there's a, a skew that you have to pick. I think that's like standard or premium. Forget what it is. But now they have a more cost-effective developer skew, uh, so there's less uh, reasons to not use Azure Bastion. I, and I do recommend that if you are going to host a VM out there, you certainly use something like Azure Bastion to front-end it uh, and keep it secure. You have those uh, secure RDP and SSH sessions available through you. And finally, uh, the WAF or the uh, if you use WAF with Application Gateway, uh, now when you create a new instance, uh, there's a default rule set uh, 2.1 that's added to your to your uh, setup. And the reason for that is they want to make sure that all the CVEs uh, that Microsoft is constantly uh, trying to track down are surfaced up through that uh, rule set, right? So you, you automatically get all the new CVEs uh, enforced for you, and, and this way it gives you an additional level of protection by default. Of course, you can go and turn it off if you think you don't need it, but that's the new default rule set now, uh, default rule set 2.1, which includes uh, you know the, uh, the, the OWASP, uh, uh, and the CVs, uh, all the all of the kind of rules that they have uh, to make your website more secure. So those are all the updates uh, that we have today for um, from the last couple of weeks. At this point, I'd like to turn the mic over to our special guests, uh, Ian and Michael. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, please go ahead and uh, you know give us an uh, introduction on uh, uh, you know what your backgrounds are in Azure, what you do, and most especially what your passion is in the Azure space. Yeah, I'll, I'll go first. Um, my name is uh, Ian Jensen. Um, I am a business applications uh, SME in Microsoft's Inter- Industry Solutions Engineering team. 
Um, my background is primarily in ERP development within kind of the Microsoft Ether. Um, I think probably the thing I'm most passionate about in the Azure space is, is what we're talking about here today, this whole suite of kind of first party systems that uh, have been built on Azure um, for our, for our um, enterprise customers. So um, yeah, that's a little bit about me. I'll throw it to Michael. Uh, so I'm Michael Littman. I'm also a uh, biz apps me uh, with Ian. Uh, and my passion has been for many years, uh, Dynamics 365 and subsequently the Power Platform. Uh, so I, I I go back into the, the Dynamics world back to version four uh, when it was all on-prem and now we've moved out into the cloud and uh, that's that's spurred my passion further thank you that's uh, that's very helpful uh, and you know i remember when ian initially reached out to me i think we met recently at the hackathon in uh, the microsoft hackathon in uh, uh was in redmond yes uh, and uh, uh, it was nice to meet ian in person i don't think uh, we had met before I then, was uh, awesome. michael you were also there uh, i believe yes uh, yeah i remember you yeah, you were sitting at the table with uh, with matt and others so, uh, you know, one of the things that he he pitched, uh, the idea he pitched to me was, you know, this is a notion of a cloud within a cloud in Azure, right? So we all know what Azure is, uh, but then we all f often forget that there's other clouds that run on Azure, right? Uh, obviously, you think like, you know, the Office 365 suite, uh, I suppose, is one of them, but then there's these other clouds which are uh, more application focused, more developer focused uh, that we can leverage. And I, I just wanted to, uh, you know, hear from from you what your thoughts are. Like, how, you know, how and I believe that's where you guys sit a lot is like working with these kind of cloud within a cloud options in Azure. So let's hear from uh, from you as to you know what is, what are the what are the the main uh, sub clouds so to speak that uh, we should be talking about here today. Yeah. Um, so there's a whole. I, say, I keep. I'm going to. We're probably going to say ether a lot on this episode. I'm realizing it's like one of my favorite words. Um, so there, there's there's this whole let's call, let's call it an ecosystem of, of biz apps that are all kind of Azure first now as of 2023. Um, they all kind of fall at Microsoft under the umbrella of Power Platform. So that's kind of the that's kind of the whole bubble. Um, but there's specific subsets of of applications within that that group. Um, so there's there's Power Apps. Um, those are um, kind of simple um, graphical applications that, that streamline business tasks. Um, Power Automate, which is a, a workflow automation tool. Um, Power BI for reporting. Uh, Power Virtual Agents for uh, chatbots. Uh, and Power Pages for websites. That's kind of the core Power Platform tools. Um, under that umbrella, there's also, and this is kind of more Michael in my background, there's also a whole group of what we call the Dynamics 365 applications. And those are kind of um you can think of them as kind of carve outs of business processes so like my background is d365 finance which is an enterprise resource planning system similar to like sap um oracle uh, michael's background is more on the d365 sales um ce side which is is more crm products uh, customer relationship management products um so whole bunch of and everything i'm talking about here um loco uh centric um, systems that have over um, many years uh, been migrated to um, kind of Azure first um, architecture. Yes. Yeah, so, so what I'm hearing is that, you know, you have these uh, uh, SaaS uh, 
application systems like the D365 D uh, branded uh, suite of application systems. And then you have application platforms almost, right, in terms of the Power Platform. I, I like to think of, is that the way to think of Power Platform? It's an application platform where you can put your own applications on there versus D365, which is, okay, you know, here is uh, uh, like a, a system, a ready-made system that's put to you, a SaaS, a SaaS product, and then you can kind of customize it and use it to, based on your business needs yeah i, I think that's a that's a fair um and important delineation yeah the, the power platform tools are kind of greenfield i mean so i I, sh I should with with a big caveat that some of the systems we talked about like d365 sales use a lot of the power platform dev tools to like customize and manage these these uh systems but yes that's that's a fair delineation the, the power platform tools um you can use them for greenfield pretty much every d365 application already has a fairly robust um, back end that that's geared toward some set of business processes. Yeah, I, I I would say the the biggest thing that the power platform exposes uh, is the depth and breadth of Azure. So the platform itself is all Azure based, and it really speaks to that next level of abstraction that we as developers think about, which is. How do I remove the complexity of the underlying infrastructure and the complexity of building an application such that non-developers, non-people who have not gone through sort of the educational part of being a computer person, uh, but still able to write that code or write an application that a line of business can then use? And, and again, sort of back to my passions, uh, it, like I said, it really exposes the power of our cloud, that it's not just Azure and it's not just O365 or M365 or Teams or whatever. It's all of these tools that work together uh, to provide that level of abstraction such that the businesses are uh, sort of released to work on their own they no longer need to come to the developer shop to really build an application they can build that application uh within their own team uh exercise that application and they don't need the infrastructure they don't need to talk about servers they don't need to talk about databases uh and all of those other things and it's really it's one of those things that i love most about where the platform is now that we do get exposed to the Azure underlying resources. I, you know, like I said initially, I, I came in from the on-prem world where, you know, I, I was in charge of those servers and I had to keep them up to date and I had to do all of the things needed to keep the platform running. I don't have to do any of that anymore. And as a CRM person or as a Dynamics Power Platform person, that's a, a great thing. Yeah, no, that's that's a very good point, Michael. And just to kind of carry on on that thought, uh, you know, if 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 I'm a business unit of some enterprise out there, right, and I need to start building a new set of applications, at what point do I decide, or how do I decide? Hmm, you know, maybe I should do this using Power Platform, or maybe you know, this needs a traditional. Uh, software development rigor, right? Uh, maybe writing it in .NET or Java, or Python, or whatever. Um, you know, I'm trying to figure out, like, you know, how do you go to that decision matrix, right? To to kind of come up with that. Okay, okay, Power Platform's the right way to go here. So, um, 
this is this is something that is is especially relevant to our org at Microsoft. So for those that don't know, ISE is a very high code um, organization. You know, we're, we're um, yeah, big engineering organization, very good developers. We we trend high code. So this is something that our team explores constantly on our engagements because the the natural instinct is to to go high code on our on anything we're building. Um, just just to you know, hopefully I'm not misrepresenting us, but that's the group of engineers. That's what that's what we do. Um, so, so there are there are a couple scenarios where it does make sense to look at low code tools such as such as the Power Platform tools or some of the D365 development tools. Um, the most common one we see is when we're trying to roll something out quickly. Um, so, um, you know, if we're on a tight timeline and we need kind of a, a straw man kind of a, a um, interface, that that's a place where specifically like Power Apps um, really excel. You can you can build a Power App for um, kind of de demonstrative purposes really quickly. Um, there's there's a specific example I, I wanted to mention in, on that particular scenario. We actually have somebody in ISC that in a previous life, um, well, in an ongoing life, um, is, uh, responsible for a, a whole bunch of um, we'll call it mission critical inventory, um, and they were on a team that spun up a whole inventory management system um, in in Power Apps and in the backing data sources in like a weekend, um, which is like in my world coming from ERP, that's really fast, like. We, I have in D65 Finance a proper inventory system that it takes longer to customize than than uh, than you know how fast this particular <laughs> team built the whole thing. So um, so that's that's one scenario is when we need speed. Um, another one we see a lot is if uh, you know enterprises tend to have because of history monolithic apps. You know um, and and again in my world of ERP that's no exception. That's that's an application with tens of modules. Um, maybe. Uh, I've got a situation where we're a manufacturer um, and we have a couple of things we need to do on the floor with people that have big gloves on, right? Um, I'm not going to ask them to go get into a, a web client um, and click, you know, click a couple of buttons on a production order. I'm going to give them some big, you know, bigger buttons that they can hit with gloves and very specific workflow. Um, that's a place where these tools also make sense because they are so tightly integrated um, with a lot of the applications that you would be wanting to carve that functionality out of. Um, I'm going to pause there. I feel like I'm talking a lot. Mike, Michael, do you do you have any scenarios that come to mind where where low codes a uh, specifically power platform is comes into play in our world? Yeah. So the 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 biggest one that I see on the uh, sort of from the dynamic side of the world. So these are customers that usually have the dynamic CRM implemented, and they see that that user interface being able to uh, give a broader view. Uh, to their, you know, expanded out within the enterprise. Uh, and so they'll build applications on top of that. Um, and then very specific line of businesses, um, particularly uh, I see finance and HR groups very interested in the platform uh, because it allows them to build a small application for just their team to be able to do a specific uh business process or workflow that they need to get done. And again, it comes back to that speed and cost. So if I have a, 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 a business, uh, a BA uh, person who can work very easily in Excel and is very good with the Excel type of, of formula writing, they would be able to build an application very quickly uh, to do a very specific function. If I need a really broad-based application to track, you know, 
large things across the enterprise. Typically, um, power, <clears throat> power Platform, that's where we would start to look at what are the exact requirements? Uh, is Power Platform the best for this? Or are there Azure solutions that we can add to the Power Platform that will uh, uh, make that application possible? Um, things like, you know, building an integration with an Azure function or an Azure service bus. Um, those types of integrations are possible on the platform. And it really is in those requirements where we'll see those types of things come out. Um, but specific line of business applications, the, the platform is really built for that. Those are very good points. And I, you know, I often wonder, like, you know, uh, how... Uh, how small or uh, what size should the application be to say this makes sense in Power Platform, right? Like, like you know, uh, at some point you got to say like, you know, I'm not going to build my entire e-commerce suite around Power Platform. And maybe you do. I, I just don't know, right? So uh, I just want to uh, kind of understand like, you know, what should be the, I guess, the scope of your application to say, you know, hey, this is something we can't like, or uh, you know, or is it possible for a bunch of developers to get together and build like everything in Power Platform? Let's say, let's put it that way. Uh, I'm going to get really specific uh, in, in my response on that. I, there, there's, I have a specific, specific example of mine that kind of demonstrates this. So we, um, many, many years ago, pre my world at Microsoft, um, built a um, EDI solution. Now, now I, I don't know if this is defensible. So for the audience, you may hear this and go, this, that's a crazy thing to do in. But we built an EDI solution in Logic Apps, which... Um, for those that don't know, in the Power Platform, there's an almost identical interface um, called Power Automate, previously known as Flow. Um, that so that's why I'm bringing this comparable example. Uh, we had a lot of, as you may imagine, in the EDI solution, we had a lot of control flow in that Logic app. Um, it, it it I would say became almost unmanageable in terms of trying to 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 build that integration visually with you know, a bunch of switches and conditions and things that I'm like scrolling around a canvas to try and resolve versus had we done that in code, in my opinion, uh, high code, it would have been more readable. Um, so that's kind of like a hindsight example. But the point I'm getting at is if you're looking at something that's going to have like a lot of control flow or a lot of state that you need to define in a custom fashion, um, something where you know you're going to be managing a lot of um, kind of non-standard things in your development, and I say a lot, that's not very specific. That that's that's to me kind of like the thing that I keep in the back of my mind when we're looking at can we do this least code, uh, low code versus um, you know, traditional development is uh is it is it gonna be complex enough? I'm kind of throwing your question yeah, yeah. back. But but that that's no that's no, the, so no that's if, a good if point. You can imagine the visual canvas. And it's, yeah. it's you're thinking about a lot of scroll bars. You you probably need to go high code. I guess that's my and, short answer. And and, and to, by extension uh, to that, uh, you know, if you have let's say ten developers working on the same solution, I'm guessing that's also going to be complicated to to do with uh, with Power Apps, right? I mean, uh, I don't know how it works in if multiple developers have the same Power App open or the same page or the module yeah. or whatever open. How that you know, obviously with the traditional programming languages, you know, we can you know, strip it down to a number of smaller pieces and have them all worked on in parallel versus uh, that is that even possible in Power Apps? That's I guess that's the other thing. Yeah, I think I think that's been you're, you're calling out a fair deficiency that I would say is increasingly becoming historical. Um, there are uh, um, of late within like the past year, a 
lot of new kind of features being added and toolkits being built um, around that exact problem. Like if I, you know, how do I how do I match a team that is traditionally there's a lot of churn to this this kind of newer framework. Um, I know that we've got um, pipelines now uh, within within the Power Platform, which is super helpful for um, build validation across um, across a, 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 a larger team. There's a toolkit, Michael. Maybe you can remember it. There's a there's a toolkit that helps a lot with this too. One of our teams here at Microsoft has produced, and I can't I can't remember the name of it. Um, oh, so 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 does the CI/CD kind of process? Uh, yeah, when you check yeah, it's, code, it's off, off your power towards- power ups. Uh, Exactly, um, and and maybe we can uh, after we the can, we can we can, we can put it in the show notes. Uh, yeah, yeah, that, that, yeah, that's that's not a problem. Yep, no, that, there, I think that helps. Is it the ALM accelerator that yes, you're thinking about? about? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. We'll we'll drop a link uh, for anybody looking at this after the fact. We'll hopefully get a link in there um, for for that for that tool that accelerator. Yeah. And and okay. so I would I would also say that it depends on what it is that you're doing on the platform. Uh, in terms of the number of developers that uh, you can integrate into building out what it is that you need. So uh, in in a previous life, um, we did have 10 developers doing a CRM implementation. And there are ways that we made that happen um, so that it was possible. But the the true power of the platform comes in that I don't necessarily need 10 developers to build this application and get it working for my group. And that is definitely a delineation in the platform as you're gathering Mm -hmm. out those requirements. If it's clear that you're building a large scale application at that point, you may not, you may not consider the platform at that point. Um, But typically uh, if it's one, two, three people within a, a line of business and they they have something very specific in mind, you know, the platform provides them with the ability to get that out the door and exercised very quickly to determine whether or not it's what they actually are looking for. Um, and And so we are building a lot of tools around that multi-developer experience. There are parts of the platform that lend itself better to a multi-developer experience. Um, when we speak specifically of power apps like a Canvas app, that is less about a multi-developer experience. When we get into model-driven apps and the web-based experience, the power pages, it lends itself better to a multi-developer experience. Um, and in addition, typically when you get into those scenarios, you do have that mix of high code and low code. So there are business processes that you will implement in the platform that are actually C-sharp code. And then the UI that sits on top of that is the low code side, that sort of thing. Um, So it does provide both of those experiences. um, But as Ian said, it's a work in progress. Uh, We are definitely getting much better at it. Uh, and uh, uh, to our product group's credit, um, they are really doing a nice job of filling in the the body of the platform, so to speak. We have a good sort of stick figure, and now they're adding the muscle and 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 all of that to it. I want I want to interject maybe the most controversial thing I'll say uh, on that note, which is that 
Sujit, you know I like talking about the history of these things probably too much, but uh, there's, uh, in my opinion, uh, this is not me representing Microsoft, I think some of that, what, what Michael's talking about, where we're kind of adding these things a little bit later in the, these weren't there at the conception of the products, it's because of who the original target audience was, which is Michael was getting at. These tools, for the most part, were geared at citizen devs and what an individual citizen does that had a pro one business problem that they were solving for themselves or maybe their team. And mm -hmm. what has happened since these things kind of exploded on the market is uh, companies are building broad, big solutions with these tools and, and, and are starting to have bigger teams. And that's when you start thinking about, well, hold on, what does our island look like? What does our CICD process look like? Um, and so I think the, the, you know, the product, development kind of matches that timeline of what it's actually been doing out there in the wild there spice, no, no, spicy no. thoughts shared yeah yeah no, 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 i think that, that that's uh very good thoughts as my friend i wanted to dig into the 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 deployment and the you know the ccd part you know what are some of the options like you know big companies obviously they, uh, they they like to do push put things into azure as part of a pipeline in part of an organized way uh, so, you know, two quick questions, you know, what's, is there like a, a deployment uh, story here? And second is, you know, what's the controls they have to secure these things in Azure, right? Like to make sure that, hey, I'm using this stuff in Azure, anything that, anything that goes in Azure, you know, it raises red flags with, with, uh, with most yeah. uh, uh, enterprise architects out there. And so uh, do they have something to, that they can control and manage in that space? <laughs> I might get very specific again here. Um, I, I can answer that from the from the lens of um, the ERP products. I think that's where I have probably the most relevant knowledge. Um, so uh, we're 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 in the middle of a shift actually on at least the pre-production side of that story. Historically, um, many of the resources in the D365 finance space were uh, directly deployed to a customer's. Um, Azure subscri subscription, um, which as you mentioned, uh, cautious ad uh, Azure admins are always a little perturbed when there's some automatic automated generation there. Um, I will say that that the the way that the product group built the the resource deployment tools for specifically for ERP was pretty good. Like the, the um, you have you have a standalone system uh, that would uh, deploy a resource group for your development VMs. Um, there was a little bit that we uh, always had to do um, around security on that front by hand. Um, that has we are we are mid evolution on that front to a true service offering, where at least for the pre-production infrastructure, you're not necessarily going to have any of that on your subscription anymore. Um, it's all managed by Microsoft, um, and that includes even the the um, cloud dev instances specifically for ERP. Um, so. That's, I think, one place where the product group was kind of listening to customers that were worried about the security vulnerabilities, worried about the cost. I mean, these resources are not cheap um, and changed it to a kind of a more streamlined uh, infrastructure model, but also costing model, really. I mean, I think we've, I'm sure you've had previous guests talk about our fun licensing stories here at Microsoft. So um, so that, that, that makes it easier too, but that, that's one specific kind of um, one specific kind of example, Michael. I don't know if you wanted to talk about uh, kind of in the rest of the BizApp suite how many other interesting places. Um, so I think that one of the things that the product group has done a superior job in, uh, at least on the 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 CE and the platform side, is abstracting the the best practices in Azure 
uh, away from the customer. So we have implemented our infrastructure in Azure and our product group has done so uh, with an eye towards what are our best security practices? How are those resources that we now manage secured for our customer? And then what areas can we then expose additional functionality to increase the security of the customer? So in, in that space, things like customer managed keys. So underneath the covers in the database, there's an encryption key. We now allow our customers to manage those for themselves. Um, we have the ability to put in, um, uh, um, we used to call them group policies, but uh, on the cloud side uh, in Azure, uh, I forget the name of them, but we allow uh, IP uh, address specification. So we can say for this website, only allow this set of IPs to actually access the web uh, or the application itself. Um, we have integrated the web application firewall um, that you had talked about initially. Um, so we have added in those types of security mechanisms on top of implementing Azure in the most secure practices that we can. Is it perfect? Definitely not. Um, we do our best to make it that way. Um, but, you know, as anything in IT, we're learning as we go along. And um, but I, I do have to give out a shout to our product group in that they have really taken when we move to the cloud. Um, Charles Lamana and, and James, when they initially took over, th they went forward with this idea of Azure first, build it in Azure, use the tools that we have and the best practices that we know in the cloud, such that our customer doesn't have to worry about those things. Um, and they've done a superior job at that. That's 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 very great to hear. Thank you, Michael and Ian. So uh, I want to just uh, pivot, if I can, to you know the um, the uh, developer story for the high code, right? We've we've talked about low code a bit, but I'm curious to see about the high code, right? Uh, because uh, at least I know that the high code may not be what people expect. Uh, but uh, Ian, maybe uh, you can you can give us a flavor for what high code means in terms of uh, D365 uh, development. Yeah, and I, I hope I'm not spilling the, the beans here, but uh, so Sujit mentioned personal experience. He, he and I worked on a project where he got to to live this firsthand, so he's got some got some knowledge uh, here as well. So um, again, talking about so when we talk about high code, you know, Michael mentioned that mo in most spaces across the biz apps, Microsoft's biz apps, there are places for high code still. There's places where it kind of plugs in. Um, one application where there's a lot of high code still is is the one I specialize in, which is D365 Finance. Um, there's a lot of interesting historical reasons for that. Um, the, the code base is quite large. That that's probably one of one of the biggest reasons. It's also not super um, uh, compatible with just porting right over to like PowerFX or something. Um, so that the experience uh, I alluded to historically was. Um, you had a one box where uh, for, for for development, so um, a, a basically a can VM from a library um, that had all of the um, kind of scripted resources ready to go for you in in Azure. Um, the Visual Studio instance has some plugins. Um, there's a bunch of local services on that box that need to be running for your for your development to work. Um, and that actually itself was an innovation compared to what we had previously. Um, so that so for those of us in the X plus plus dev space. Um, which is which is the language we customize D365 Finance with. It was really exciting to have something where it's like, oh, it's just can, I can just work with this. And um, 
but that that you know the world moved forward. Um, other development experiences have become a lot more modular and portable with like package managers and configuration managers and all the things that make it that we can develop wherever we want. Um, and uh, very recently uh, in our world, the uh, the um, D365 product group has kind of moved the X++ dev experience forward to that more of that model. So now you deploy basically a cloud service um, for your for your dev instance to connect to. And now you can set up Visual Studio locally with some plugins, connect to that um, cloud instance for you to validate your changes against of, of D365 Finance. Um, and you no longer need this kind of rigid canned infrastructure. Um, so that's that's oh, the Ian. I have to uh, stop you there. You 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 mentioned X plus plus like you know it's uh, it's uh, everyone would know about it, right? Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> so, so let's just uh, take a minute to explain what X plus plus is because I know yeah. I had to figure it out. <laughs> sure. Yeah. No, that's a good that's a good call out. So there are so uh, it is um, X plus plus is a domain specific language um, that we use. it's it's got I won't go too much into the history although I want to. Uh, it's got a decent history. It's um, about as old as the .NET kind of world. Looks a lot like C Sharp. Um, kind of developed in its own fork. It's its own historical thing. Um, but anybody that's that's I would argue anybody that's done C Sharp development would be relatively comfortable looking at X code. There's some like patterns that because it is domain specific, there are some patterns that it's kind of tuned for more in the ERP space. Um, but that's that's the very uh, high code experience that ERP devs. Um, are you are used to is is and, building and, things in X plus plus, and that's what that Visual Studio uh, gives you, right? It gives you an X plus plus kind of development environment, right? Uh, uh, kind of side uh, uh, side to side with uh, the .NET uh, code that you might have to build uh, to add on, because it does work very well with .NET if you uh, if I remember. Yes. And uh, and then that kind of helps you. Like if you're you're absolutely right. For a .NET developer, X++ should be easier for you to, to consume. It still has its own little nuances and mm -hmm. uh, and and uh, syntaxes and ways of working. It does work with a very specific model like yeah. that you have to use and understand and uh, and get to like. Uh, but yeah, I mean that you know that that definitely. Uh, was a big learning experience uh, for for me coming into that project uh, with you, Ian. So uh, you know. Uh, what so now we know that we could use X to kind of customize, uh, build extensions for let's say to D365 or uh, you know create new user experiences if that's necessary, uh, etc. Uh, what are the uh, kind of developer like? What are some of the tools they would have to use to let's say you know integrate with their uh, source control system or you know developers? We talk of high code. That's what they think of, right? What's my CI/CD story? What's my source control story? Where are we with all of that? Like, how does that work with X plus plus and uh, D D D three sixty five? Yeah, that's that's an interest. So um, again, in the specific world of X plus plus, there's been this kind of interesting history where um, it, we, we went all in on TFBC um, for version control, I'll say that. Um, and uh, um, there has been a lot of recent kind of fervor around Git, again, kind of trying to catch up to the to the, to the the rest of the um, developer world. Um, and so we've actually, um, I think we, hopefully we can get some links for this too. We, we've done some work in-house um, to, to help our customers that are interested in getting over to, to Git um, to kind of match the rest of their um, enterprise uh, code management. Um, we've we've released some some guidance from ISC and then kind of broader Microsoft 
uh, around how customers would want to do that. There's some I won't I won't bore your uh, your whole audience with like the technical nuances of why it's kind of hard, um, but there are some challenges around um, setting up kind of modern version control for um, the the canned architecture for X++ that I was alluding to earlier. Um, outside of ERP development, outside of X++ development, um, it's actually a lot more flexible. Um, and, and some of the tools that Michael and I were talking about earlier, some of these, some of these kits that um, have been built in-house to work with the Power Platform development space, um, they assume Git, they assume modern version control tools. Um, I think some of them even come with CI/CD templates. Um, oh, I should mention our X++ guidance has CI/CD templates as well. Um, so it's 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 pretty well covered. It's it's all kind of our the biz apps world getting away from the cowboy coders days of old. Um, we're definitely well on our way to I would say stability on that front. So yeah. And, and then what's the uh, I guess the uh, combination of X plus plus and uh, Power Apps or Power Platform language? Is that a language? I don't know if I should be calling it a specific language, the Power Platform system. Uh, power uh, effects. Most most Power Power effects. Power effects. Yep. Okay, so uh, if you take Power Effects and CX++ or even .NET for that matter, is there like uh, a synergy between these three languages now, uh, as from a developer perspective? From a yeah, I think uh, Michael mentioned you could kind of, you could combine um, .NET with uh, with the Power Apps, right? I think uh, uh, where does X plus plus fit in that? Like in Power Apps, is that uh, there is also an integration story there too, or are they two completely different systems that can only talk to each other via the back end? From a development perspective, it's a pretty light interface. There's a there's um, an increasing amount of native functionality in. D365 Finance to support the integration of Power Platform tools. Um, there's there's actually a front end interface for embedding Power Apps themselves. Um, the, going in the other direction, it's not quite as um, compatible. But you did you did um, jog my memory on something that maybe is is interesting here, which is that from a delivery perspective, um, the the different um, tool sets are kind of converging. Um, and so I don't think it would be unreasonable for us to say that. Um, in, in the medium future, um, we can expect development from from for Power Platform, Power Apps, Flows, uh, C, uh, C or sorry, D365 Sales Development, D365 Finance Development to be able to be packaged in in one deployable. So you have kind of this one pane situation of um, you you have a, you have a good idea of what your whole um, state looks like from a from a code perspective from a perspective, yeah. That's important. Yeah, that's very important. Excellent. No, I think this this is this is really good. And so you you know just to go back to the power platform world, you mentioned like there's power apps for building simple apps, uh, power automate, which is more like workflow style background applications, right? They don't have a UI. There is Power BI, which is BI. I think everybody knows about that. I did see briefly Power uh, Virtual Agents for chatbots. Uh, is that becoming popular these days? How, how, how's that going? And then you mentioned Power, I think Michael mentioned Power Pages, uh, which seems to be also new uh, in my book, at least. Yeah, Power Virtual Agents, uh, maybe second most controversial thing I'm, I'm going to say. This Everybody wants to talk about AI, right? Um, and, and PVA uh, integrates some cool AI functionality. And so it is... Um, we we do in our on our team specifically get a lot of inquiries um, around PBA. There's this. I'll, I'll just highlight one feature quickly here that I think is 
um, probably why we got so many calls. There's this notion of generative answers in in PV. So anybody that's interacted with these bots historically knows they're kind of painful, right? Like they're pretty yeah. rigid. It's like, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't understand that. Can you ask it a different way? Um, there is a feature in PVA now where um, it's been there for a minute. Um, it's actually using um, the, one of the AI services in Azure um, to, to parse the question and get a response based on the data sets that you've configured it to, to look at. Um, and it's pretty good. You, you, have, you have, I would say, citizen dev level tuning capabilities around um, content moderation and like the style of the, the response that you get. Anyways, that's, uh, I'm, I'm off on a little bit of a tangent, but that is, yes, it's a popular product. Um, and I think it's specifically because of some of these AI features that people are really interested in seeing if they can use it to solve some in-house and customer service problems um, efficiently. Um, Power Pages, Power Pages is maybe this, I would say the the second highest code re remaining of the biz apps. Um, it's, it's, um, it's, it's got a good, it's got a good kind of initial design interface um, for what you want your, your public facing sites to look like. Um, but as far as like the under the hood work of, of make, you know, prettifying it and um, doing work with the website that, that tends to be at least in the projects we've seen um, high code. Yeah. Yeah. Power, awesome. power pages. Um, just historically uh, came into the platform uh, as as an outside. We purchased the company and brought them in. Um, and it really provides that third type of application interface. So we have the model-driven apps and the Canvas apps, and PowerPages really provides that third interface through a website. Um, and as Ian said, out of the box, uh, it really can be a low-code type of website. However, if you need it to do more complex things, uh, that's where you get into more of the high high code where um, you're using your JavaScript and your HTML um, or TypeScript, uh, if that's your 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 chosen language. Um, and and it still is sort of similar to X plus plus or the ERP side, probably the highest code uh, necessary. So you really do need to. JavaScript is extremely helpful, the knowledge of it, uh, when you get into the Power Pages side. That's awesome. Great. No, thanks so much. This has been a real eye-opener in terms of all of the various uh, application and SaaS offerings that we have in Azure uh, to help our both our developers as well as our business community. Is uh, there anything else you want to say in closing, things that maybe you guys are working on or what we could come to expect soon? Uh, and of course, we know we're going to get some links from you guys and we'll put it in the show notes uh, with all of the information you've just spoken about. Yeah, for, first of all, I just want to th thank you for uh, inviting us. This has been very fun. Um, Big, big fan of the show, you know, for, for what is a long time listener, first time caller. Um, so, uh, yeah, there is one thing uh, real quick that, that we wanted to throw in. Um, our team is working on what will eventually be uh, what is an open source um, Terraform provider for uh, managing the infrastructure side of, of a lot of the applications that we talked about here. So our, our goal is kind of full breadth on the on the biz apps um, space. The time the, the reason this kind of hasn't happened historically it exists now. Um, I mentioned kind of upfront that there's been um, this kind of consolidation effort uh, across the business applications to make it more kind of um, compatible, um, make the APIs that we use to manage them more consistent. Um, we've kind of reached an inflection point on that. And so our team has um, kind of recognized that opportunity um, and we're building a tool that should 
hopefully for listeners in this episode uh, already be public by the time you know by the well I know this goes up quick. Uh, there, there, we'll we'll throw a link. Uh, we'll we'll give Suji a link. Um, it's called the Power Platform Terraform Provider. I don't know if that's going to be the final name, um, but you can use it to um, manage the state of your biz apps um, through Terraform declarative Terraform definitions rather than um, hitting a- APIs individually or scripting things off to the side. You don't need to care about that. That's the beauty of Terraform for those who aren't familiar. So quick plug on that. The Terraform. Power Platform Terraform provider, um, we will have a repo up publicly, uh, hopefully in the next little bit here. I would also awesome. throw in a plug for the for the Fusion Ops playbook, um, yeah. where we publish a lot of the best practices and learnings that we've talked about here on the platform. Um, that is also a public Git repo out there um, that that we'll throw a link out for as well. That would be very helpful. Thank you, Michael and Ian. All right. Well, uh, great chatting with you guys. Uh, this has uh, been a, a lovely, uh, you know, uh, catch up on all the other things. Like, you know, we get so focused on Azure and things we forget there's this whole other uh, system that also is in Azure that uh, we should uh, inform our listeners about. And I really thank you for doing a great job on that. Well, uh, we'll look forward to hearing from you guys sometime in the future on, on other updates. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the show. If you have any thoughts, questions, or just want to connect, find us on Twitter at Azure Podcast. Background music has been taken from ccmixer.org under the Creative Commons license. We hope you'll tune in again soon to keep learning with us.